a podcast. Did your radio show get canceled? Fire, fire, fire. Low down and filthy, but the discipline is on point. Schooled myself, made my own dojo. A cold flow with the whole dose of soul. Maintain composure, even in fury and anomaly properties. This week on the Pete the Planner show, talk to a young man who is trying to just stop working since his early 30s and making a boatload of money until you learn what city he lives in, uh, but wants to try to shut it down to become income independent within 10 years. He joins me name now. His name is Cal. That, that rhymed. Hi, Cal. Hey, how's it going, Pete? Thanks for having me. Good. You don't have to feign excitement. It's okay. People, people know uh, that it's great. Hello. Uh, so you make a lot of money, but you also live in one of the most expensive cities in the world, right? That's correct. So uh, tell us about yourself. How old are you? You can tell us kind of what you want to do or where you live, how much you make. Let us know what's happening here. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm 30 years old. I was just got married this year, and my wife and I are both lucky and fortunate that we are in high-income careers. Um, so she is a healthcare provider, and I am in uh, medical sales. Um, so we've kind of moved to Seattle recently within the last couple of years, and saw just a big explosion to our careers um that's kind of led us to you know start questioning if we really wanted to follow the traditional path of working until 65 and maybe we can uh, make some changes now to hopefully dramatically change that timeline down a little bit i love um, it i love it I'm, things so are racing through my enjoying, head <laughs> so we're obviously enjoying where we're at in our careers but we just want to have those options in 10 years to you know, be able to pick up and get in a van and travel across the country or maybe be a ski bum or, or you know, the options in the list goes on. Sure. Well, f- first of all, uh, it's the old saying, you got to get while the getting's good. And when you're 30, making boatloads of money, uh, now is the time to do it. I like to imagine a scenario in which you were trying to sell medical supplies or whatever you sell to your wife, who's a physician. And then you're like, you want to grab some Chardonnay or something like that. And then that's how you got, is that, did, is, did I just recount your life or is, did, did it not go that way? You know, it's not quite that glamorous. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of dinner conversations are more about patients that are very ill and yeah. their symptoms. So yeah. not, as, <laughs> not yeah. as romantic probably in real life. I took out a man's larynx today. Oh, really? How's the pate? You know, it's like, it, yeah, it's probably not the sexiest. Anyway, so what kind, of, what kind of change are we talking about here? Like in a good year, let's call this year a good year, because apparently it's a good year. Cal, how much money will you bring into the household? Um, so our combined gross for the year should be about 275000 Combined gross, 275000 which most people who know the... Uh, the conversion uh, for people who live in Seattle is $34,000. It's $34,000. No, um, it's funny because it's true. Seattle is ridiculously expensive. Can I assume you live in a suburb or are you guys living like in a loft, like uh, wearing like plaid and listening to grunge music? Like where do you live? Yeah, we're in a uh, small town home and we're still in the proper city. allows my wife to bike to work so yeah that's kind of the main reason why we're staying close but yeah we're paying a pretty penny for it yeah so uh two hundred seventy-five thousand. can i assume you both max out your 401ks your retirement plans at work uh absolutely yep 
Okay, so that's 18,500 each. Uh, is handsome matching going on or is it pretty uh, modest matching? Uh, I'd say it's pretty modest. So um, our employers match essentially 3% of pay, 50% of the first 6%. So okay. um, yeah, I'd say, I don't know what the, what is a generous match, but I consider that, you know, decent, but not great. And then uh, what do you waste money on? I'm not suggesting you waste money on a townhome, but I know it's probably pretty expensive. What, what, what's it cost to stay there on a monthly basis? <clears throat> yeah, so our monthly rent is 3300 currently. Yeah. Yeah. How big is it? Uh, 1400 square feet. You know, this is not going to endear you to me or me to you, but I have a a house more than twice that size, and I pay less than that on my mortgage every month. Oh, the Midwest. <laughs> but here's the thing. Uh, I mean, at any given time, you can walk into a Walmart, and there'll be a shirtless person. So there are trade-offs. Um, do you spend a lot of money on cars? Uh, no, we actually are pretty modest. Um, I drive quite a bit for work, so I do have a newer vehicle, but it's just a Honda CRV, and then my wife has a fully paid-for Subaru. You guys ride around on Lime scooters? <laughs> Is that a thing in Seattle? Because here in Indianapolis uh, area, in which I live, people are just like all over these scooters. And I'm an old curmudgeon. If you've ever listened to the show, I don't like things or people. And I get really angry at them. Is that a thing out there in Seattle, I assume? Well, there's definitely the grunge in Seattle, but um, not too many scooters in the wintertime. You know, we always got the rain going on. So oh, no. uh, you got to kind of have your shelter. You have not had your electric scooters yet, huh? That's not a thing that's at Seattle yet. You know, I'm the wrong person to ask since I'm on the road all the time. I don't Look see at you. the inner city working. I love this. I, I feel like you're a 39-year-old, 30-year-old. Is there any chance that's true? You, you could call me an old soul. Yes. I think that might be pretty accurate. Uh, all right. So um, what do you have in your savings account? Uh, we have right around 50000 in our savings account. And can I assume, maybe, I won't assume, are, are you holding it there or are, are and, and contributing to other places or are you trying to grow your savings for some reason right now? So I guess that's kind of one of the things we're on the fence about right now, but we are currently dumping all of our extra income into the savings account. Okay. Um, we wanted to have a nice little cash nest egg to potentially use towards a down payment on a house or or if we decide not to, then reinvest that into our brokerage account. Can I make a recommend? Of course I can make. Who am I asking? It's my sh you came on here for recommendations. That, that's why we're here. I, that's why we're here, baby. We should be on scooters just gleaming the cube. I don't know. It's an old Christian Slater movie. Um, so does P do P you're 30. You're millennial. You're older than Frank. But you know who Christian Slater is, right? I'd have to Google him. Oh my gosh, Christian Slater just rolled over in his teen beat stardom of the 80s. Hey Frank, do you know who, jump on the mic, do you know who Christian Slater is? You're not gonna like my answer. You do or no? I don't. Oh my gosh, you guys got some Googling to do. Googling. Um, anyway, the, back to our guest. Cal, uh, my recommendation is that you split off your emergency fund from that savings account if you haven't already. You may have aggregated it when you, when you told me about it. Um, but I would keep I don't know, whatever you consider your emergency fund to be, 20 in one account, and then keep that savings in a different one, just so you don't co-mingle them in your mind. Are you already doing that? Uh, yeah, so we are. What, what, do you, what do you keep as your emergency fund? How much? Uh, so I'd say I have 
five thousand in my personal savings account, and my wife has five thousand in hers. Yeah, probably need a. I mean, I guess it's it's splitting hairs. Probably need a little more. Oh, are, are your my wife's personal and my personal? You guys, the uh, you guys keep things separate. Keep keep it separate. Well, we're we're working on joining things together. Uh, like I said, we're still pretty newly married, but um, we do have that joint savings account, which has the larger balance, and That's then cool. uh, we've just kind of been keeping the. The, I, like you said, the emergency fund in our pre-existing accounts. How much are in retirement accounts collectively? Um, our retirement accounts would total, I have to look real quick, about 260000 And then are those primarily traditional instruments or any of them Roth instruments? Uh, so yeah, we both have traditional pre-tax 401k <clears throat> and a smaller Roth component. You are a spreadsheet guy, aren't you? I do have a, a background in uh, mathematics, so See, yes, I do like to look at numbers. <laughs> dude, I, I know you. I know who you are. Um, okay. You're a college football fan, too, aren't you? Man, you've already got me profiled. Dude, I, I feel like I, I have not even like like Googled you. I'm just telling you I know who you are. So you, you are a college fan. This is who you are, right? Yes. Okay, good. I just had to show off. Um how much debt do you have, Cal? We are in a pretty good position. So uh, last year with our higher incomes, we actually took care of the last bit of my student loans. And the only existing debt we have now is uh, the 17000 I owe, I owe on my CRV. Okay. And I assume you get, a, you get a monthly allowance from your employer for driving around or something like that? Yes. Yeah, they do give me a car allowance. Okay. No debt, healthy savings. Like, how long until you think you would want to buy a home? I mean, because, you know, to become income independent within 10 years and then go down that path of home ownership, they kind of butt heads a little bit. So tell me, tell me your wishes when it comes to home ownership. Yeah, so my, uh, my wishes would be, obviously, to pay less than 3300 a month. Um, and then we just like to have a home base. We've been moving around every one to two years uh, since leaving leaving the house for college. And so it'd be nice just to have a little bit more of a base. Um, but again, we're kind of struggling with does, you know, putting that much cash into a home alter our plans of our goal of trying to have freedom or financial independence in 10 years? Or is it, you know, actually better for us and that we're, we'll be building equity over that period of time versus spending the money on rent? Yeah, here's the yeah, that's a, that's a, that is the question, right? Like, uh, do you think you'll settle where you live, or is is I mean that is part of the question? There's no, do you have to stay in the Seattle area, or is that your wish to stay in the Seattle area for the next five to ten years? Uh, that's a great question, Pete. I think we're transplants, so we've only been in the area for a couple of years now. But I definitely think we could ourselves staying here for the next five to ten years okay um but it's, i want to say it's 100 percent absolute certain so now i don't recommend this for everyone and, and I, I i really don't but you could consider in a housing market as hot as seattle to play the game where you get in a desirable place and ride the market up for five years knowing that you're leaving and that the next house you will buy or the next place you will live will be much less expensive than Seattle. Therefore, you can take advantage of housing market appreciation, take a couple hundred thousand dollars for your troubles and be on your way. Have you considered that? 
Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the hot topic for us right now and something that we would really like to take advantage of if, if, we, if we think the market's going to stay hot. Okay, yeah, so that's the first thing. Does the market stay hot uh, based on all sorts of factors, including interest rates, right? Because at some point in time, if interest rates continue to go up, you're, the market of buyers for your future home goes down, right? Because there are fewer people that can buy your home. The other component to this is too, and this is where ri actual risk gets involved, um, if you really want to make money uh, on a housing appreciation over a five-year period, you're probably going to have to buy an above-average home, a nicer home, pushing your affordability limits now. The desire to stay at $3,300 a month, I think it goes completely out the window. Uh, I mean, you'd be looking close to at least $5,000 a month, based on what I know about housing prices in Seattle, in order to get into one of those homes that is quote unquote guaranteed to appreciate. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I would love to kind of get more of your criteria on what makes these homes guaranteed to appreciate. Okay, so let's for instance say, and I'm gonna, uh, let's say national home builders. Like think of a, a, a company, a national company that just comes in and builds homes and they're uh, in the Midwest, they're called vinyl villages, but they're former cornfields that are turned into dense housing. I mean, you understand the concept, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever lived, uh, like if you ever passed through Denver, I mean, the whole south of Denver is just exploding with these sorts of homes, right? On the way to Colorado Springs. Um, so there's that. Um, those tend to not appreciate as much as other types of homes which are more unique. If someone can go and just build exactly what you own three miles away in another empty field, there's not a lot of marketability to your home, right? It's not gonna appreciate as much because the demand is just different. If you're getting a unique property in downtown or uh, in, in a cool neighborhood or a custom build and a, a refurb loft or something like that, that is a unique property that is not a commodity one way or the other. So if you're trying to pull off the, let's take advantage of the fact that there's massive appreciation in the five to 10 years that we live here and then we're getting the hell out, the way to do that is to take the risk on a home that can really do that. To just buy what you think you can afford, which is you know, a brand new townhome in an area that isn't really fully developed, then you're not gonna get the appreciation that you could in those, others, in those other areas. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because unlike Denver, Seattle is constrained by water and there's just not a lot of land. So right. there aren't those new subdivision developments. So if you, if you buy in the city, mm. you definitely come across those, those properties. Yeah, so like for instance, and I'm not gonna pretend to, again, know everything about Seattle's real estate market. In fact, I will say, I only know one thing. One of my best friends, if not my best friend, why did it turn into that? Anyway, he just moved to that area and he lives like in like Polyolip, Polyup, Polyup, you know what I'm talking about down there? Just south. Oh yeah, Puyallup. Yeah, it sounds like Polyup and you're in the medical field so I assumed you knew what I was talking about. Um, that place, so it is, it is a less expensive suburb that makes Seattle area affordable. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, that would be a bad decision for someone in your situation. Like if I'm you, I wanna take full advantage of the heat that is the Seattle real estate market and you don't do that by getting on the outskirts. He's not trying to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. He's got two kids and a, several dogs and I think a rabbit. 
Like that's not, that's weird. That, that's what you're not trying to accomplish. You're trying to get in and get out. So you don't want to be on the outskirts. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want to live in co-op. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, and the other factor in this too is, and this is strange, that can actually benefit you because the more you pay for housing with the understanding that you're getting the hell out of there, then the less you'll, you'll live on now, which is a good thing, which means you won't have a giant lifestyle when you leave. Because if you go to any other housing market, which all but four of them are, are smaller than uh, Seattle, your cost of living is gonna decrease significantly when you leave there. So by having this higher cost of living on housing alone in, in a feat to try to create more wealth, it can really serve you. What you don't want to do, which would be a giant mistake, is to get something that's super, super, super affordable and $2,500 and then have this ridiculous dine out, drink a lot, have a fancy car lifestyle. Because if you do that, that is a lifestyle that can generally not be changed when you change cities. Yeah, so we want to keep our lifestyle inflation low. And by putting it into the house, we can you know, build that equity to reap in a few years. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's what I think you do, but I think the way you go about it, it's pretty interesting. And you're actually on the, uh, on the way to it now. You're on the path to it now, which is to save like a madman and a mad woman. Just save, say like have a couple hundred thousand dollars, some for a down payment, and then some for you're about to own a $800,000 house. Uh, you need money to repair it if something goes wrong. I mean, you can, you can create security for yourself, even though it could make sense to make a housing risk or take some housing risks. And by the way, if your time frame's a year to 18 months from now, I think a lot more is gonna shake out. I think the economy could shake out a little bit more. I think interest rates could rise. And if that's the case, you may see the housing market drop. You can buy and take advantage of it and then spend the next five to 10 years writing it up. I mean, this not to get macabre here, best case scenario, the economy completely crashes, yet it doesn't affect your jobs, and then you buy a house much cheaper, $200,000 cheaper than you could right now in Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. But what's the uh, yeah. worst case scenario look like? Yeah. Uh, you rush the process, you don't have a lot of cash, yeah, you, your standard deviation of what your income is, is, is giant, which would mean, um, this year, you think you said you're making 275 or something like that. If next year it goes to 315, and then the year after that it goes to 230. If there's a huge variance on either side of the average, that's a problem because if you have one of those dip years in which you make 225 instead of 275, and you choose to have a higher payment, you could be in trouble. Or if you choose to grow your family and one of you chooses to stay home and your income cuts in half, then that creates a problem too. But, and again, you can't plan everything, but if your income is going to stay steady and with maybe a 5% variance or increase, then it's a reasonable move to wait 12 to 18 months while you build cash and then jump on there with the understanding that Hey, honey, I, I'm not talking to you. I'm playing a role here. I'm saying this to your wife. Not, not me saying this to your wife, but me playing you saying this to your wife. Hey, honey, we're getting the hell out of here in 2027. And, and then you, you set a drop dead date. Uh, and if you do that, this all works out great. Awesome. Now, Pete, going into this, you said, you know, saving a lot of cash is, is important. Would you consider any of the home loans with less than a 20% down payment? 
yes, based on what you're trying to do, um, you're gonna, and, and here's the thing, you're gonna be cash heavy. The whole point is to have cash, is to be cash heavy. Um, you have the resources, you're not avoiding the down payments because you don't have the money. You're trying to create security a different way. A lot of people want less than 20% down payment because they don't have the down payment. To go into one of those programs and, and, and you know, have the ability to make the 20% but you choose not to strategically, all day, baby. All, all day. Um, but if you're trying to get a first time home buyer 3% down because that's all you can do, that, that ends up being problematic, especially if the market flips. I think if you have the patience to wait 12 to 18 months, we're going to know a lot more about the direction of this country's economy, and it would help you a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Nice. What else am I missing? I, I, uh, I don't see any holes in your plan unless you think that 275 could be 225 next year. Do you know? Uh, I mean, there is being in sales, there's definitely that risk for me, but I think there's more upside to going to 315 than there is to going down to 225. Um, but again, you know, nothing certain uh, with commissions. Um, my other question for you, Pete, was, you know, we do have sizable balances in our 401k, um, and then we're also starting to invest more in the brokerage side. But when we hit, you know, potential financial independence in 10 years from now, we'll obviously be much less than the uh, minimum age for making um distributions out of our retirement plan. Yep. Do you have any tips that ways we can maybe look at trying to access those funds or move them around, or should we start leaning more of our investments to the brokerage after tax side? That's a great question. So once you've maxed out your uh, benefit through your 401k, absolutely go to the brokerage side, which is called the non-qualified side. There's not as many tax restrictions. But the other thing you can consider, if this is still available 10 years from now, is to do some Roth laddering. Are you familiar with the Roth, uh, backdoor Roth laddering? Um, a little bit. I, I currently do backdoor Roth contributions uh, with just the yearly limit of 5,500, but I'm not as familiar with the ladder. So essentially what you end up doing is you convert pieces of traditional vehicles, IRAs or 401ks when available, you then convert them to Roth. You have to have a five-year waiting period before you can take the money back out. And then you live on the principal whenever you want because you can take the principal out of a Roth without tax consequences prior to 59 and a half. So it's a whole system of people who know they're gonna access a great deal of money before 59 and a half. They essentially convert a majority of their assets to a Roth vehicle so they can use them before 59 and a half. Now, there's a lot that goes into that because you just certainly don't want to drain your assets um, in your 40s and 50s and then not have enough to support you beyond that. But that is the methodology that, that you would use, that along with brokerage accounts, which have fewer tax restrictions. Well, okay, so there's a way to do a conversion there Absolutely. to move some of that money. Okay. Yeah, and again, I, I, Very I, cool. I hope most people who listen to this show understand um, you and I so far, uh, Cal, have talked about having a lot of money the other side of this, and it's not splitting hairs and it's not semantics, is to not need a lot of money. As long as you can build wealth and have a huge income and not require it to live your life, that's where this becomes easy. Like, if you really only live on $6,500 a month, you're gold, right? As your income continues to go up and then you save the rest, then when your income goes away, then you will have accumulated enough assets to support you on hypothetically $6,500 a month. But if your income continues to go up and 
now it, oh, we live on 12,300 a month now. And it's like, well, that's over. I mean, you're not retiring early at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Anything else? Uh, Pete, I think that covered everything I had today. I really appreciate your, your insights and uh, helping me tackle some of these questions that we've been wrestling with. Well, I hope you don't lose sleep over this because I'd hate for you to be sleepless in Seattle. I'm sorry. I had to. I've been waiting the entire time. I am a father. I make dad jokes. Google Christian Slater. Cal, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Pete. All right. That's it for this week's show. I can tell you when I make references to people who feel like my equal, Cal and I are just two, we're two young men talking about ball sports and things. And I make a pop culture reference and he gives me the, was a what? That hurts my heart and it hurts my soul. I'm used to doing that with Frank. I'll say something in the office and Frank looks at me like my head's sewn to my shoulder. And Nicole, you have no idea who Christian Slater is? It sounds familiar, but I Oh, I, that's I, the worst. When you say, say sounds confidence. familiar. No, just say no. Anyway, that's all I have time for, for you and everything. <laughs> uh, I'm Pete the Planner. And this is my show. This is for information purposes only. Not the scissors, financial planning device. Consult a financial divisor. All right, you follow the podcast. How do I know this? Because you're listening right now. You might have even read one of our blogs or one of our books. But there's a whole other side of this Pete the Planner empire that you know nothing about until today. It's called your money line. It is the complete financial solution for employers. There's this whole world and it's called financial wellness. Sounds like nothing, but it's something. It's a benefit that comes to you via your employer. It helps you manage your financial life to get answers to your financial questions. Well, your money line, the company of which I'm the chief executive officer, one of the leading companies in this world that deals with financial wellness. If you are an HR person or a, in the position of leadership within your organization, go to yourmoneyline.com and schedule a demo today. If you are a wholesome, wonderful employee, reach out to your HR person and send them to yourmoneyline.com. It's time to get Pete in your workplace. Salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it?